Chapter 5. The Clock Case Jack Linden lived in a small cottage in Windley. He'd occupied this house since his marriage, that's over thirty years ago. His home and garden were his hobby, and he was always doing something, painting, whitewashing, papering and so forth. The result was that although the house itself was not much account, he had managed to get into a very good order. As a result, it was very clean and comfortable. Another result of this industry was that, seeing the improved appearance of the place, the landlord had on two occasions raised the rent. When Lyndon first took the house, the rent was six shillings a week. Five years after, it was raised to seven shillings, and after the lapse of another five years, it had been increased to eight. During the thirty years of his tenancy, he'd paid altogether nearly £600 in rent, more than double the amount of the present value of the house. Well, Jack didn't complain of this. In fact, he was very well satisfied. He often said that Mr. Sweater was a very good landlord, because on several occasions when being out of work, he'd been a few weeks behind with his rent, and the agent acting for the benevolent Sweater had allowed Lyndon to pay off the arrears by instalments. As old Jack was in the habit of remarking, well, many a landlord would have sold up their furniture and turned them out into the street. As the reader is already aware, Lyndon's household consisted of his wife, his two grandchildren, and his daughter-in-law and widow, and children of the youngest son, the reservist, who died while serving in the South African War. This man had been a plasterer, and just before the war he was working for Russian and Co. They'd just finished their tea when Owen knocked at their front door, and the young woman went in to see who was there. "'Is Mr Linden in?' "'Yes, yes. Who is it?' "'My name's Owen.' Old Jack, however, had already recognised Owen's voice, and came to the door, wondering what he wanted. "'Well, as I was going home, I heard that make haste and slog it are going to start a large job on Monday, so I, I thought I'd run over and let you know.' "'Are they?' said Lyndon. "'I'll go and see them in the morning, but, well, I'm afraid I won't stand much chance because a lot of their regular hands have went in for a job. Yeah, I'll go and see them all the same, though.' Well, you know, it's a big job, all outside the block of the corner of Kirk Street and Lord Street. They're almost sure to want a few extra hands. Yeah, well, maybe. Maybe there's something in that, said Lyndon. Anyhow, I'm much obliged to you for letting me know. Yeah, but coming out of the rain, you must be wet through. No, I won't stay, said Owen. I don't want to stand about any longer than I can help in these here wet clothes. Yeah, but it won't take you a minute to drink a cup of tea, will it? Lyndon insisted. I wouldn't ask you to stop longer than that. Owen entered. The old man closed the door and led the way into the kitchen. On one side of the fire, Lyndon's wife was a frail-looking old lady with white hair, was seated in a large armchair knitting. Lyndon sat down in a similar chair on the other side. The two grandchildren, a boy and a girl about seven and eight, were still seated at the table. Standing by the side of the dresser at one end of the room, was a treadle sewing machine, and one other end of the dresser was a pile of sewing, ladies' blouses in the process of making. 
This was another instance of the goodness of Mr. Sweater, from whom Lyndon's daughter-in-law obtained the work. It wasn't much, because she was only able to do it in her spare time, but then, as she often remarked, every little helped. The floor was covered with lolonium, and there was a number of framed pictures on the wall, and on the high mantel-shelf was a number of brightly polished tins and copper utensils. The room had that indescribable, home-like, cosy air which is only found in those houses in which the inhabitants have dwelt for a very long time. The younger woman was already pouring out a cup of tea. Old Mrs. Linden, who had never seen Owen before, although she had heard of him, belonged to the Church of England and was intensely religious. She looked curiously at the atheist as he entered the room. He'd taken off his hat, and she was surprised to find that he was not as repulsive to look at, rather the contrary. But then she remembered that Satan often appears as an angel of light. Appearances are deceitful. She wished that John had not asked him into the house, and hoped that no evil consequences would actually follow. As she looked at him, she was horrified to perceive a small black head with a pair of glistening green eyes peeping out of the breast of his coat, and immediately afterwards the kitten, catching sight of the cups and saucers on the table, began to mew frantically and scrambled suddenly out of its shelter, inflicting a severe scratch on Owen's restraining hand as it jumped to the floor. It clambered up onto the tablecloth and began rushing all over the table, darting madly from one plate to another, seeking something to eat. The children screamed with delight. Their grandmother was filled with a feeling of superstitious alarm. Lyndon and the young woman stood staring with astonishment at the unexpected visitor. Before the kitten had time to do any damage, Owen caught hold of it and, despite its struggles, lifted it off the table. "'Sorry, I found it in the street as I was coming along,' he said. "'Seems to be starving.' "'Poor little thing. I'll give it something.' exclaimed the young woman. She put some milk and bread into a saucer for it, and the kitten ate ravenously, almost upsetting the saucer in its eagerness, much to the amusement of the two children, who stood by watching it admiringly. Their mother now handed Owen a cup of tea. Lyndon insisted on his sitting down, and then began to talk about Hunter. "'Well, you know I had to spend some time on them doors and make them look anything at all, you know. When it wasn't the time I took, or even the smoking, what made him go on like that. He knows very well the time it takes. The reason is that he thinks I was getting too much money. Yeah, work is done so rough nowadays that chaps like Sawkins is just good enough for most of it. Well, Hunter shoved me off just because I was getting the top money. "'And you'll see I won't be the only one.' "'Yeah, well, I'm afraid you're right,' said Owen. "'Did you see Rushton when you went for your money?' "'Yeah,' said Lyndon. "'I hurried up as fast as I could, but Hunter was there first. "'He passed me on his bike before I got halfway, "'so I suppose he told his tale before I came. "'Anyway, when I started to speak to Mr Rushton, "'yeah, well, he wouldn't listen.' said he couldn't interfere with Mr. Hunter and the men. 
Yeah, well, there's a bad lot, them two, said the old woman, shaking her head savagely. It'll all come up her home to them one day, you'll see. They'll never prosper. The Lord'll punish them. Owen didn't feel very confident of that. Most of the people he knew who had prospered were very similar in character to the two worthies in question. However, he didn't want to argue with this poor old woman. "'When Tom was called up to go to the war,' said the young woman bitterly, "'Mr. Rushton shook hands with him and promised to give him a job when he came back. "'But now the poor Tom's gone, and they know that me and the children's got no one to look to but father. "'Well, then they do this.' "'Although the mention of her dead son's name, old Mrs. Linden was evidently distressed. "'She was still mindful of the atheist presence.' and hated to rebuke her daughter-in-law. "'You shouldn't say that we've got no one to look to, Mary,' she said. "'We're not as them as there are without God, and without hope in the world. The Lord is our shepherd. He careth for the widow and the fatherless.' Owen was very doubtful about this also. He'd seen so many badly cared-for children about the streets lately. What he remembered of his own sorrowful childhood— well, it was all evidence to the contrary. An awkward silence succeeded. Owen did not wish to continue this conversation. He was afraid that he might say something that would hurt the old woman. Besides, he was anxious to get away. He began to feel cold in his wet clothes. As he put his empty cup on the table, he said, Well, I must be going. Don't be thinking I'm lost today. The kitten had finished all the bread and milk and was gravely washing its face with one of its paws, so great an admiration of the two children who were sitting to the floor beside it watching. It was an awful, artful-looking kitten. It was all black, with a very large head and a very small body. It reminded Owen of a tadpole. "'Do you like cats?' he asked, addressing the children. "'Oh, yes,' said the boy. "'Give it to us, will you, mister?' "'Oh, do leave it here, mister,' exclaimed the little girl. "'I'll look after it.' "'Yeah, so will I,' said the boy. "'But, er, uh, haven't you got one of your own?' asked Owen. "'Yes, we've got a big one.' "'Well, if you've got one already, I can give you this, "'and then you'll have two cats, and I'd have none. "'But that wouldn't be fair, would it?' "'Well, you can have a lend of our cat for a while, "'if you give us this kitten,' said the boy, after a moment's thought. "'Why would you rather have the kitten?' "'Well, because it would play. "'Our cat doesn't want to play. "'It's too old.' "'Perhaps you're too rough with it,' said Owen. "'No, that ain't it. "'It's just because it's old.' "'You know, cats is just the same as people,' "'exclaimed the little girl wisely. "'When they've grown up, I suppose, "'they've got their troubles to think about.' "'Owen wondered how long it would be "'before her troubles commenced.' As he gazed at these two little orphans, he thought of his own child, and of the rough and thorny way that they would all three have to travel if they were so unfortunate as to outlive their childhood. "'Yeah, can we have it, mister?' repeated the boy. Owen would have liked to grant the child's request, but he wanted the kitten himself, and therefore he was relieved when their grandmother exclaimed, "'We don't want no more cats here. We've got one already. That's quite enough.' She was not quite yet satisfied in her mind 
that the creature was not an incarnation of the devil, but whether it was or not, she didn't want it, or anything else of Owen's in the house anyway. She wished he would go, and take his kitten, or his familiar, or whatever it was, with him. No good would come of his being here. Was it not written in the word, If any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema maranatha. She didn't know exactly what anathema maranatha meant, but there could be little doubt that it was something rather unpleasant. It was a terrible thing that this blasphemer, who, as she'd heard, did not believe that there was a hell, and said that the Bible was not the word of God, should actually be in the house, sitting in one of their chairs, and drinking from one of their cups, and talking to their children. The children stood by wistfully when Owen put the kitten under his coat, and rose to go away. As Lyndon prepared to accompany him to the front door, Owen, happening to notice a timepiece standing on a small table, the recess at one of the fireplaces exclaimed, "'Well, that's a very nice clock.' "'Yeah, it's all right, isn't it?' said old Jack, with a touch of pride. "'Poor Tom made that. Not the clock itself, but just the case.' It was the case which had attracted Owen's attention. It stood about two feet high and was made of fretwork in the form of an Indian mosque with a pointed dome and pinnacles. It was a very beautiful thing. It must have cost many hours of patient labour. Yes, said the old woman in a trembling, broken voice and looking at Owen with a pathetic expression. Months and months he worked on it, and no one ever guessed who it were for. And then... When my birthday came round, the very first thing I saw when I woke up in the morning were the clock standing on a chair by the bed, and it had a card with it which read, To my dear mother, from her loving son Tom, wishing her many happy birthdays. But he never had another birthday himself, because, well, just five months afterwards he was sent out to Africa, and he'd only been there five weeks when he died. Yeah, five years ago, come the fifteenth of next month. Owen, inwardly regretting that he'd unintentionally broached so painful a subject, tried to think of some more suitable reply, but he had to content himself with murmuring some words of admiration for the work. As he wished a good night, the old woman looking at him could not help observing that he appeared a very frail and ill man. His face was very thin and pale, and his eyes were unnaturally bright. Possibly the Lord, in his infinite loving-kindness and mercy, was chastening this unhappy castaway in order that he might bring himself to God. After all, he was not altogether bad, and it was certainly very thoughtful of him to come all this way just to let John know about the job, and she observed that he had no overcoat and the storm was still raging fiercely outside, with furious gusts of wind frequently striking the house and shaking it to its very foundations. The natural kindness of her character asserted itself. Her better feelings were aroused, triumphing most momentarily over the bigotry of her religious opinions. "'Why, you ain't got no overcoat!' she exclaimed. "'You'll be soaked going home in this rain!' Then, turning to her husband, she continued, "'There's that old one of yours. 
You might lend him that. It'd be better than nothing, wouldn't it? But Owen wouldn't hear of it. He thought, as he became very conscious of the clammy feel of his saturated clothing, that he could not get much wetter than he already was. Lyndon accompanied him as far as the front door, and Owen once more set out on his way homeward through the storm that howled around like a beast hungry for its prey. Thank you.